Ever been in a long race and had this discussion with your pacer? But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Leave me alone. Keep moving forward. Leave me alone. That's how winning is done. Back off. Keep moving forward. All our friends die. <laughs> and then we die. Welcome to another episode of Here's What You Could Have Run podcast. Today is a bit of a special one. We are talking about the the hidden, unmentionable side of ultras, which is DNSing, where you don't even finish. Um, joining me, I've got Spencer, and he and I uh, both didn't quite manage to finish the 10 past 100, I think two weeks ago now. So uh, thanks for coming on, Spencer. You're very welcome. And for anyone that hasn't heard your multiple previous appearances... In terms of 100 milers and stuff, what have you done before, just so people get an idea of quite how experienced you are at hundreds? Um, I think I've completed seven and now DNF four, so I'm I'm still in the positive. That's <laughs> a good way of looking at it. But, I mean, yeah. does that include you did 100 miles on your own, didn't you, from the Centurion events? Yeah, so I did two Centurion virtual ones. Um, I think the first one was a, a, a year ago this Friday, coming. Oh, God, yeah, probably, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then I did the one last November, which was the track one, which was, yeah. a, again, a bit virtual. We just run around a track for 100 miles, which is, yeah, yeah. Something, something I couldn't manage. <laughs> and in terms of hard race, I mean, you've done Arc of Attrition, haven't you? I, suppose, I presume that's going to be your hardest 100. Yes. And for anyone Definitely. that hasn't heard of that, that's is it normally January and it's basically around the southwest coast pass. So it's yeah, it's no, I think it's the last weekend of January, beginning of February. Um, so yeah, it's quite um, the weather can be quite interesting, um, and obviously the temperature um, and southwest coastal path once it's been wet and couple of hundred people have been over it already mm. um yeah it makes it quite uh greasy let's say and you're not gonna have a lot of daylight either it's probably what eight o'clock till probably four i guess i mean at like that time of year it's you know well actually because it, it starts at 12 o'clock lunchtime on friday <laughs> so afternoon. you miss some of it then that's brilliant you, you get five hours of light if you're lucky Jeez. and then 14 hours of dark i think it's from five till seven-ish. So, yeah, certainly uh, a challenging one then, which you did finish, oh, you did well at. Yes. Um, and uh, like me then, you have finished a 10 past 100 before. Is it once or twice you've done that? Yeah, twice before. Once in 2017, it was my first 100. And two years ago, 2019, Okay, so yeah, you've done that twice before. I did it in, I think, I think I was 2018. I've lost count a little bit. That was the hot year. Yes, yeah. If that's the right one, that was a hot year then. The one that was yeah. ridiculously hot. We certainly didn't have to uh, worry about puddles or anything that year. And yeah, I mean, as we're talking about DNF then, with me as well, certainly my hardest race was definitely the Lakeland 100, which similarly arc is 
awful weather and awful terrain although we did have some dry patches and we you know it's the time of year where you've almost got the longest days so certainly a lot of daylight for it but that was best part of 36 hours on my feet to do 100 miles so yeah that was a race which I didn't think I'd finish but I did manage to and then like yourself this year towed the start line at 10 past 100 with one finish under my name and two under yours so I mean how did training go for you? Training was very good. Um, probably the best block of training for, for that sort of race since um, I ran it the last time because that was pretty good as well. Loads of flat running, canal running, uh, speed work. So, yeah, it, it all went really well. Excellent. And you were doing this as part of the slam, weren't you, the 10 to pass? Yeah, so the Did 400s that... over the year. Yeah, does it, did that kind of add an extra element of pressure or were you kind of quite able to sort of ignore that and just take it a race at a time? Yeah, I think I was just sort of looking at one at a time. Um, I suppose a sensible person would maybe have taken it a bit easier um, just to, to get it completed, to move on to the mm. next one. But um, the sort of competitive... If it had been my fir the first time I'd run it, then it would probably have been a bit different. But as I had such a good time the last time, I wanted to beat that, which yeah. probably wasn't the best mindset. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, on the face of it, certainly, you know, I wouldn't expect you to have DNF because your training just from Strava and stuff looks to be going really well. And as we spoke on the sort of Christmas catch-up, you're under a coach as well, aren't you? So... You're yes. not just going off being an idiot yourself. You're having someone make sure you do the right sessions that you need to get through it all. Yep. I mean, similarly, I was hoping to do well at 10th path, but I didn't have such good training. I got um, injured twice. I had to tear a calf muscle. So I kind of went in six weeks from not running to trying to do 100, which was always going to be a bit ambitious. But yeah, we suppose we both came at different ends, didn't we? You were probably trained and I was crossing my fingers and seeing what was going to happen. <laughs> so in terms of um, having a target then, uh, did you have kind of ABC targets or was it just go out hard and try and beat your previous time? No, there's always, I think, A, B and C. A is always to to beat, if you've done, if you've done it before, to, to beat the previous time. Um, what was your previous time? Uh, 23.40. Um, so and based on, on, yeah, based on the track run, um, I thought I could possibly beat that, maybe get under the, the 23. Um, the B time would have been just a sub 24, just to squeeze under, and then C would be to complete it. Right, I, mean, I think it's good to have that in your head, isn't it? To sort of mentally have two or three targets. Yeah. I know a lot of people have DNF because they were very capable runners and going for kind of a, a win stroke podium. So as soon as they start to slip off that, they kind of wheels come off and they almost give up. Yeah. So going into it, then you were pretty confident you'd done your training, uh, presumably you tested nutrition and stuff like that during your previous attempts. Yeah. Um, uh, for the, the long runs, <clears throat> um, I'd always have um, the same thing I was going to eat and drink. Uh, during the race, so you know, I'd be drinking Tailwind, I'd be eating sandwiches, gels, all the same things I would have had in the race. I would have had weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, 
beforehand. So certainly externally then you'd have been a fairly self safe bet, wouldn't you, to have finished, I suppose, with your experience in the training. Yes. And then coming up to sort of the week before, we had some pretty horrible weather forecast. Did that play in your mind at all? Because it certainly did for me. I was starting to panic a bit about 24 hours or more in the absolute pissing rain. Um, not not so much. T- to be honest with you, uh, I don't mind um, running in cold. I don't mind running in wet. Um the the path i mean as you know the first half of the race is there's quite a lot of path mm. actual uh proper path rather than running across fields and things like that so that part you know wasn't so much i was going to wear road shoes irrespective um which i did um and probably wasn't the best idea come i think 50 60 miles onwards but um yeah, the weather didn't really phase me. Okay, good. There's that photo that uh, Centurion have used and all their PR of you and Stuart looking delightfully happy by the Hampton Court, whatever that palace is. That's it, yeah, that was just outside Hampton Court. So that was, what's that, about 10 miles in? And, and that was in the worst down. bit of the rain, yeah, and you two are happy as Lowry. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, <clears throat> uh, I, um, the, the, we'll get onto this probably a bit in a bit, but um, I don't really get cold when I run. Mm. Um, in fact, I overheat. So I started in a T-shirt uh, and arm sleeves. Um, and there's people walking past looking like they're going on an Arctic adventure. So Yeah, one of my mates who was running had full-length waterproof tops and bottoms for well, till she dropped me at 30 miles. I don't know when she ever took them off. But, yeah, people are very different on what they need to wear, aren't they? Yeah. Cool. Now, when um, you had a pacing approach when you caught up with me, you were doing a run nine minutes, walk one minute. Was that something you did from the start? And is that kind of organically happened or was that set in stone from day one? So that that uh, system I've used for uh, so many different... I used it on the track. I've used it at Thames Path. I've used it um, running even road marathons. I'm, I'm very used to doing it. I'm quite happy doing it. Um, the thing I would normally do in a in a mass start race is I wouldn't do it for probably for the first three to five miles because the last thing I want to do is 10 minutes into a run, I start walking and getting in people's way. So oh, I tend yeah. to let it the race sort of just um, get going a bit uh, and then I do it. But I still did it this time. I waited five miles and then started doing the nine minute run, one minute walk um, till probably past Reading, I think I was still doing that, that, which was an improvement on when I did it the time before at Thames Path, where at Reading I changed it to, I'd restructured it. As I get more tired, I the, the run reduces and the walk increases. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, um, as we get into a bit, you had, I didn't realise when I caught up with you about, or you caught up with me at 30 miles, but you were having stomach issues for quite a lot of the race. When did they sort of kick in? Um, I think it was about 25 miles. You go, I know this is going to sound a bit sort of random, but you go over a bridge, as you do quite often. Um, <clears throat> but they were doing a load of works and you had to go round a load of temporary fencing and come back on yourself a little bit. Um, and literally just eating a sandwich. And I got round the corner back onto the onto the te- Thames path and um, just started puking. And 
it was it was different because it was everything in my stomach came out, which I thought was a bit weird um, at that time to, well, yeah, to be that sick. Marathon distance, is it, at that point? So, no. so that was um, a bit unusual. So, I mean, what did, because that's going to be a bit of a dent in your confidence, because everyone struggles a bit with food in the later stages, but if you're a quarter of the way through and you're already struggling to keep food down, that's not ideal, is it? No, I did think, um, shit, there goes my sandwich and gel that I've literally <laughs> less than a minute ago eaten um, an and umpteen tailwind. That's all just come up and landed on the floor. Oh, good, is it? So, yeah, you do think uh, that's all my nutrition gone for the next whatever until I can get some more in. Mm. In terms of sort of A station and stuff, you had a bit of a crew as well, was you, didn't you? Yeah, I, um, I hijacked... Stu's uh, other half. Um, I think it was at Slough. I topped up my bladder at Slough um, and got some more gels and bits and pieces. And then I was good until uh, Henley, where uh, some friends of ours, um, I met them and again topped everything up. I mean, you passed me as this event about 30 miles you gained. I mean, I set off and it worked out nearly an hour ahead of you. So even with stomach issues, you were definitely making good progress to take an hour yeah, out yeah. of me in 30 miles. Yeah. The, the irony was I was I was being sick a lot, but it wasn't affecting my legs or my speed or anything else. It was just everything, you know, every five to 10 miles or, or whatever it was everything would come back out again. Not good, is it? I think no. the one upside is it wasn't hot, is it? If that would have been a good a good route to dehydration and a very early DNF, it had been a baking hot day, at least you would just run that of energy rather than dehydrate. Yeah. I mean, I, I, even though it was raining in the early stages, I could feel myself sweating because it wasn't sometimes when the rain had eased off, I could feel my head was sweating more or felt mm. more wet than it should be. And I did have a headache because I, I remember saying to Stuart, so I've got a headache and it's, I don't know why, it's too early in the race, like 15, 20 miles and I got a stonking headache. But something wasn't wasn't really right and I just, I've no idea what. Mm. Sounds like, yeah, you were a bit unwell on the start line and then it almost, you just didn't realise yeah. you start to push it. Yeah, exactly. I felt fine, but it was just a couple of things just didn't feel quite right. And around, I think, 40 miles, because um, we were running with Helen, uh, yourself and Stuart, you guys were on sort of sub-20 pace based on what um, what I could work out from your start time and stuff. So you were definitely going well. And I think you hit yeah. halfway. Well, you, were well, you were in and out before I got to halfway. So you must have been about sort of 10, 10 and a half hours, something around that. I think it might have been a bit less than that. I think it was, <laughs> it was, it was around, yeah. Yeah, I think it was around 10-ish. I remember um, it was slightly, but only like maybe 10, 15 minutes longer than 2019. But rather than where I sat, sorted myself out, changed my top, did my bladder, this was literally stand up, take my bag off, threw it to the girls. They sorted that out. I shoved down custard and whatever else I was Mm. eating, put the bag back on and gave. It was like, not quite Formula One, but you know, it was that was the idea. I mean, I was I took the bag off before I got to it. I was running along the uh, into Henley, holding it. So 
I that's, wanted to get in and get that's out. That's organised. So even yeah. though you still weren't feeling too well, you were still in the mindset that, yeah, time was of the essence and you were pushing it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it didn't affect my legs. It was, um, it was like the leg, everything from the waist down was fine. It was the waist up that there was issues. I suppose, yeah, the training was the waist down and, yeah, the stomach or the bug, whatever you have with the issues about that. Yeah. At what point did you kind of start to consider that maybe this wasn't going to work out? Presumably it was after halfway, considering how quick you went. Yeah, I, uh, I think it was, I, loved, I was sick about 35 miles. Then just before Reading, I thought, I feel fine. I haven't been sick for 20 miles or whatever it was. I'm going to have a sandwich. Ate the sandwich as I walked into Reading, topped up my bottles with water, um, come out of Reading, 50 yards, threw everything up. So I was like, this is getting a bit ridiculous now. So I, I mean, no one likes Reading, but there's no need to vomit on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one noticed a sick puddle around Reading. Um, I was going to say, I was behind you. I didn't notice any part of the sex, actually, just blended in. So, uh, yeah, so I was, uh, so again, I thought maybe it's bread, I'll stop eating bread. So um, I left the saddle, just went on to gels and tailwind, but I was drinking a lot of water, a lot of water, because mm. um, the fact I'd been properly sick, I was, I think the stomach acid had sort of burnt the back of my throat. So drinking oh. tailwind was, wasn't that nice. The drinking water was, so I ended up drinking probably more water than I should. Um, or wasn't, I don't take S, uh, S caps or anything like that. So all, all my uh, sodium, sodium and salt is coming through the tailwind. So of course I'm not taking in much tailwind. Um, and then I picked up my pace uh, at Pangbourne, which is 66, I think. I st again, I was still moving well because I was still... Uh, uh, piggy, um, leapfrogging with Helen uh, mm. and her pace, Sir Lauren. Um, and then got into Goring, still felt all right. Topped up my bottles with, with water at Goring. Walking over the bridge at Streetly, didn't quite feel right. Lent over the bridge, everything out again. Oh, that's about 75 ish miles, something like that. Is that come exactly? Goring is 70. Oh, there you go. Yeah, um, then I then it had been slowly creeping up. I get every now and again on on uh, hundreds. I get a bad back, lower back pains that, that sort of get to the point where I have to lay down and stretch it out because it gets oh, uncomfortable. Um, and that started to appear, but it was sort of again it was earlier than normal, um, and it started to get uncomfortable to run. Um, I got into Wallingford, which was seventy seven. Tried stretching me back out against the wall and it just didn't seem to really help. I ate some more food, came out of Wallingford, the first bridge, threw everything back up again. You're just not good with um, bridges, are you? That seems to be the link. But by that point, it was starting to get painful to or, or too uncomfortable to run. So I tried walking, I tried doing run, it's like less, less run, more walk. Um, then it got really uncomfortable, so I was just walking, but my walk pace got too slow, so my pace was going, look, you know, you need to walk faster if you're going to walk. So I was trying to walk faster, and then it was just getting really, really uncomfortable. And was that and walking the... faster to try and hit the 24? Because you were still a long way off the cutoff, weren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was still I was still on for sub-24. 
Um, so you could but, walk really slowly to like drag in a 28 hour if you had to. Yeah. Um, but it was just before Clifton Hampton. I, I started being sick again, but I was this time there was nothing to come up because I hadn't been eating. So I was dry heaving there. Is that uh, the lovely the one, the photo that your pacer got of you? Yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> um, she was very good. But a, a couple of times, um, as I was throwing up, she was holding a tissue for me to, to oh. wipe my mouth, which was very considerate. Um, but that time, um, she was quite a, far, quite a bit ahead of me, so um, she decided to take a photo instead. Kodak moment, um, yeah. That's it. But by then, the, 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 the back pain had sort of taken over and it was just it was unbearable to to walk at any particular decent speed and that's the first time I started feeling cold so that was whatever time of the morning that was two three in the morning it's the first time I put my coat on um so when people talk about how cold it is this was probably the first time it wasn't that cold Mm. I don't think anyway um and Clifton Hampton is where I decided I, I can't I can't do 15 more miles at this pace in this discomfort. So that's when the decision was made. Cool. That's, that, that, that seems, I suppose, yeah, externally that seems very close to the end, but when you're beyond the death march and every step hurts, that still yeah, you know, might yeah. well be another 100 miles away. That, that could have been a five-hour walk. So, <laughs> I mean, not reflection, but... yeah, on reflection, you think, could I have kept going? But at the time, it was too, it was too, um, you know, it was too, too much discomfort. So. And in terms of your pace at that point, then, do, do you, what are they saying? Are they just letting you make decisions or are they trying to push you one way or the other? Yeah, she, she she's pretty good. She's, she's a very good runner. She's a very strong-willed lady. Um, and, you know, she will kick you up the arse mm. um, a lot. Um, but unfortunately, I'm quite a stubborn bastard as well. So um, when I said to her, this is enough's enough, she sort of, she went, okay, fine. And and that was it. So she did try until the point I said, this is it. This is no more. Um, so, yeah. So if you can't keep food down and you can't keep even a decent walking pace, it is going to be a, a very long, unpleasant finish to the race, isn't it? Yeah. And and that's why I said I I named my run when the fun stops, stop, because as much as I want to do the slam, as much as I want to get a bucket at the end, if I'm going to do myself damage, is Mm. it worth it? And the answer is no, not really, because within a week I was running again and I was very comfortable. So, you know, I'm not saying if I'd have kept going, I wouldn't have been able to do that. But, you know, at that point, I thought I don't want to put myself through any more discomfort that may or may not do myself harm yeah that's a fair point I mean my DNF was slightly less uh, theatrical and that I just kind of lost the wheel to carry on <laughs> I wasn't quite as far ahead as you but I just got to the point I had 33 miles left and thought I can either yeah I could literally death march that in and beat the cut off or I could push uncomfortably to try and get a sub 24 and I just it was a bit like you. I already had a decent time on 10th past previously, so I wasn't going to beat the, that PB. So you kind of question why you're there. And I just, yeah, in my case, happened to have a mate who'd popped out. I didn't realise to see me at Pangbourne. So I had a lift home as well, which made it even easier yeah. to drop. 
So in terms of having done the race before, do you think it's a benefit or a hindrance? Because certainly some of the rubbish bits like around Reading, it's good that you know they're there and you know they will finish, but equally you start to dread the bits coming up that you know are awful. I don't... Um, obviously, I, I heard a lot of people said past Clifton Hampton that the terrain was awful, mm. really muddy, uh, and it was, you know... So from my previous experience, those bits weren't... You know, they were fine. Um, I, I wore road shoes in 2019 and, and I never had any issues with terrain. It was pretty much rock hard all the way. Um, I don't mind Reading. I don't really, apart from Fort 100 where the, the turnaround point just never seems to appear. Yeah, definitely. I don't mind going through Reading. I don't mind going through the housing estate. It's, it, it, if anything, it's just something different for mm. five, 10 mi minutes. Um, albeit it is uphill but then you run downhill afterwards so there's no bits that I really dislike even people say like Clifton Hampton never seems to appear but for me it just it arrives in a you know in a fairly reasonable time I was over um, in bed by the time you got to there I think <laughs> yeah so no I, I you know I, and I don't mind the route I quite enjoy Thames Path um, I, I, I've said before it's probably one of my favourite ones, mm. um, where some people can't stand it because of the flat, but I don't mind it. Yeah, I, I don't mind the flat, but there just seems to be a lot of just walking along past the river, didn't they? Which obviously sounds obvious, but like yeah. the South Downs way, you do get a bit more scenery, even though it's just big fields mostly, but it somehow seems less monotonous, I find. Yeah. And I but think once the sun goes down... Yeah, true. You're just staring at a dot on the floor, so. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. A few more cows on the south down to leap out at you, I guess. Yeah. And in terms of, obviously, when you did drop, how do you feel about the fact that you've had people come out to sort of pace you and stuff and, you know, externally people might say you've kind of failed would be a harsh word for it, but, you know, they've, they've given up their Saturday to come and help you and then do you feel any guilt about or any pressure from them to make sure they've been part of a successful endeavour? Um, I don't feel guilt or pressure, um, mainly because she only decided to pace me um, when uh, I got a message uh, just after we passed, I think it was just after we passed you, Stu's other half said, uh, Helen's called, do you want her to pace you? So I was like, yeah, all right then. Um so she was bored. Actually, she had, she had nothing to do. She got and she persuaded her husband to drive down from nice. uh, Northampton <laughs> to pace me. So from that point of view, yeah, you know, she, she sort of offered to do it just off the cuff. Um, yeah. I feel more sorry for her husband because uh, he ended up driving me back to Northwest London before <laughs> driving driving back to Northampton. So um, for more, I, feel, I feel more guilt for him. So he probably had a much uh, better Saturday evening planned than uh, that, and then yeah. into the Sunday morning. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't mind people saying. I'd rather people said you failed uh, than try and sort of uh, sort of dress it up as being, mm. you know, oh, you've done further than I can do, or or you went really far. I'd rather sometimes people just say, yeah, actually, you you fucked it up, and. Um, 
you know, you should have done better. Because that's the truth. It's just that sometimes I think people don't want to tell you the truth for worrying, hurting your feelings. But Yeah, that's going to be my next question, really, whether people are spoken to after, because... It's some people almost treat it as I don't know, like a bereavement, and don't like to mention it. Other ones will quite <laughs> almost refreshingly take the piss out of you. I found in that, yeah, you know, well done on doing three quarters or two thirds in my case of the uh, ten hundred when you can do the rest of it. And yeah. yeah, then you get the other ones like you said, who are all very oh, you're so well getting that far, and you just think, well, not really, because both of us have run a lot further than that before. Yeah, and probably in better time. So you're like, well, not really well done, is it? It's a, it's a long training run that didn't go very well. Yeah, exactly. With um, no reward at the end. Exactly. <laughs> Did you feel any pressure from kind of either your mates or social media, Strava, etc., to finish it? Did you message anyone or ring the wife for a bit of advice when you thought you were going to drop, or were you all just very in your head and self-contained? Yeah, I'm. I'm a bit. I'm, I, I don't really listen to anyone, which is probably not <laughs> not necessarily the best thing to do. But didn't have your coach no, on speed dial then. No, although she did. She, apparently, she did stay up and was watching um, yeah. the tracker and was screaming at it because obviously I was sat at Clifton Hampton for. Because uh, once I decided I wasn't going anywhere, I sat down and had, a, had about three cups of coffee. Um, <laughs> so no, no, I I, I I didn't message her. Um, and I wouldn't message my my, my missus because straight away she'd say, um, you know, come home. So uh, I, I tend to sort of listen to myself. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I was listening to my body, so which I think was the right thing to do at that time. Yeah, no, definitely. I, mean, I, I got kind of two groups of friends from two running clubs and I kind of messaged both of them in a is anyone sober and potentially wanting a, a drive down to the Thames? And I got a quite a variation from one group of very much, you know, don't be a wimp, bloody crack on, do it. It's not a very good advert for your next book if you can't finish 100. And the other lot were a lot more <laughs> concerned. So it's definitely a different mix. And yeah. I did actually bring the wife and ended up just crying in floods of tears that I couldn't be asked to finish. <laughs> Which is <laughs> terrible because it had actually been an injury and it'd been like, you know, I broke my femur, am I allowed to stop? But it was more just, I'm not enjoying it anymore and I'm bored. <laughs> and yeah. I've lost my cup, so I can't get a coffee. <laughs> How can you lose that cup? It was fucking huge. I know, <laughs> and noisy. Yeah. I should have known the minute I dropped it because of the lack of noise, but it's literally, I reached out, I thought, I'll get a nice cup at the next aid station. That might, yeah, help me uh, get keep going. It's, it's, probably... like, oh, it's gone. It's probably left a dent somewhere. <laughs> it probably has. Well, I don't like them stupid little floppy cups that are on them sort of mandatory kits. I go for a big solid one, but yeah. I thought yeah. that went all the way to blooming um, Trans Grand Canaria with me and stuff. It's been up and down the mountains over there and it couldn't quite get along the Thames. So when you uh, you did drop, obviously as you said, people could see on the tracker because this year we had um, sort of live trackers like they have on some of the more extreme races. So everyone at home could see you uh, sat a long time drinking coffee. And then you finally decided to drop. What what's actually goes through your head when you finally unpin the bib and give the tracker back? Relief. <laughs> relief that it's over, relief that you've made your mind up. 
I think more relief that I didn't have to run anymore because the, <laughs> me me back was so painful. Um, once I made that decision, it was like thank God for that. All I've got to do is walk from the, this chair, fold fold up chair, to the car when um, my pacer's husband turns up. Because yeah. um, he was only a couple of miles down the road at the crew point, so I didn't have to wait long. That's ideal. Then, um, isn't it? And and then we got in the car and drove to the finish to get to get me bag, which which took about fifteen minutes, and I was like, "Fuck, that's quick." <laughs> yeah, I was fortunately two people from Milton Keynes were running who did finish, my two club mates, so I got them to pick up my bag at the end because I just couldn't be asked to go and get it. Yeah. But yeah, so in terms of you were sorted then for getting home, so basically pick up your Dropbox, get back in the car and off you whisk home. Yeah. And that, how did it feel kind of heading home? Because I did feel a bit, somewhere like you said, release it is over, but then also almost guilt knowing that your mates are still out there running and as it turned out, slopping through mud up to the flipping waste in places. And yeah, you're in a nice warm car with heated seats on your way home. Well, I was asleep. Well, the whole way home, so... Um, so you weren't wrapped with guilt, then? No, not at all. <laughs> um, you know, I've been to Oxford twice, and I've never actually seen past the car park just up from the, the finish line, because as soon as I get in the car, I just go straight to sleep. So I right, did exactly yeah. the same. Got me bag, um, sat in the front of the car, fell asleep, woke up just before... I think I woke up in Watford when we come off the M25, so... You know, it was only another nice. 15, 20 minutes and I was home. So, no, I didn't think about anything apart from um, going to sleep. Nice. That's a good way of having it. I mean, I, yeah, yeah I think I was in bed before midnight or something because I dropped a lot earlier than you. And yeah, woke up, I think about four or five in the morning thinking, you know what, if I could get in a car quickly now, I'd almost have time if I could get back to my tracker to have finished. Which did make me wonder whether I should have really dropped having had that many that many hours left still to go, but the decision's made at that point, though, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, there's a, a couple of other times. The, the time I because I DNF South Downs Way Hundred uh, two years ago. Um, again, I was being violently sick, um, and uh, I would just wonder whether if I'd have had a, a half hour kip. Mm. just to let my stomach settle um, and then carried on whether it had been different. Um, and I did think about it this time, but I I, I thought if about taking some painkillers for me back, but I'd already had six paracetamol. If I have any more, um, I'm going to do myself an injury. Yeah. So, you have to yeah, look out for your long-term health a bit there, don't you? Yes. Yeah. But you're, you're right. I do think if you could, if you've got crew and you could just literally have a, and if you've got time, you know, um, it's not unheard of to have a, a power nap in a, in a long mm. race. So if you could do that just to let things settle, then it may help. Um, but I, I think I was too far gone by then. Yeah, I guess, yeah, if you've got a bad bat and sit in a chair having a nap, it's not likely to improve it, is it? You're going to wake up even stiffer. Yeah. Maybe I'll think about laying down. The the there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know whether the, 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 the back pain was linked to the the sort of the the dehydration because I can imagine I was sick so much and, and I drank so much water I basically thinned out mm. um 
my salt level. So whether I was low on salt, it could well have been actually because that's yeah, it's a silent killer almost, isn't it? The amount of people that die yeah. from diluting themselves too much as opposed to dehydration is a lot higher. So I'm not sure if the two. I'm you know I'm I, I'm not a Google doctor, so. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if the two were connected. I'm but... sure if you had giggled, the symptoms would have ended up with cancer or corona. Yeah. What it all yeah. ended up with. Yeah, so I think we... it was a brain tumour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of the DNF, you mentioned you had DNF to cut the races before. Once you've kind of done one DNF, do you think it it puts it in your head as a, as a possibility? Because certainly until I got my first DNF last year at the Track 100, it was just something that happened to other people and I, I was always mentally going to finish unless I got timed out. And I think certainly at 10th pass, I kind of, there was certainly a voice in my head going, you've really dropped out 100, you've done this one before, why don't you just drop again and go home? Yeah. Um, I think once you've done it, you can sort of, um, it, possi- it, might, it might make it easier to do it again. Mm. Um I do know that uh, DNFing with severe dry heaving, I have then also completed a race dry heaving because I knew that if I could just keep moving and, and it will eventually pass, and it, and it did. Um, so it, it sort of did teach me as well that, um, you know, it's, you, can, you, can move, you can move on through certain, you know, you have, Low, highs and lows in long races mm. uh, and you can feel great and you can feel awful um it just depends where you are in the race as to as to whether that has a you know a massive effect on you um and sometimes i do i i, I try and work out why one race you eat and drink and do exactly the same and then another race you do the same and it just goes completely sideways it's it, you know very frustrating not being able to sort of really work it out yeah and the problem with over 100 is there's a finite number you can do in a, a given period isn't it? if it was a marathon you're struggling with, you could almost do one a month or even more often to try and bottom it out couldn't you but yeah yeah even if you could fit it into your your time scales it's a bit of a toll trying to do more than a few hundreds in a year so yeah, the following so, week after then, did you? how did you feel mentally? Were you kind of second-guessing the decision or were you able to kind of put in a nice little box and forget about it? I think you always over-analyse it, and especially when you feel fine again, you're thinking, mm. oh, should I have really done that? And again, I, at that time, the answer was yes, it was the correct thing to do. And then, you know, a few days later, you think, oh, could I have done this and could I have done that? Um, I did think like that for a while, but then um, the, the other thing was I wanted to understand why um, why I get the sickness, uh, why I get the back pain, and if I can sort that out, um, the, then I hopefully won't have to make that decision again. Um, and luckily, a few people messaged me literally days after um, about the sickness, so... Um, it's apparent that I'm a heavy sweater, which doesn't sound very uh, sexy, but... Um, I have the same when, problem, so yeah. <laughs> when I run, whether it's summer, winter, I sweat, and I sweat a lot. I mean, Sunday, 
half five at Wendover Sunday morning. By six o'clock, I was absolutely drenched, um, even though it was like five degrees. Um, you know, the humidity in this country is is still high. It's still 90-odd percent, even if it's cold. Yeah. Um, so I found myself absolutely dripping wet, um, even though it was, you know, six in the morning and it was five degrees. So I've got some some new stuff to try um, to get around the the sweating and, and the losing the salt to try and replace the salts more. And um, what is that, S caps or something? Or no, it, it's called uh, precision hydration. Uh, I've heard of them before. So where they do a sweat yeah. test and stuff. Yeah, you can do it online, but it's a bit sort of vague. Um, uh, do you sweat? Yes. Do you sweat a lot? Yes. Here, try this. <laughs> so. But I'd, I've spoken to other people that, that you know, had similar issues. So I'm sort of going more on, on their recommendation. Um, but the trouble is, is you need a long race to, to, to really put it to the test. So I suppose you've got um, the South Downs in, what, three weeks, four weeks? Yeah. So um, it will get tested then. Um, and I will, I used to take S caps before I started using Tailwind. So I'll mm. go back to S-Caps again. Um, and hopefully the two together will, will help solve the, the sickness. Yeah, I mean, I do tend to carry S-Caps. I don't always remember to actually take them, but that's uh, the wonder of when your brain goes a bit foggy, isn't it, a long run? Yeah. So following the race, and when do you get back to run? I think you said you had basically a week off, did you? Um. Yeah, I think I, I did a couple of walks on the Monday, Tuesday. Um, I think I went for a run on the Friday after, so okay. five days later. So that's pretty, yeah, bouncing back pretty quick then. Yeah. I mean, in my case, I went for a, a run on the Monday, having finished running Saturday, thinking I'll be, yeah, stiff and terrible, and actually probably the best week of running of the year, so... I definitely wasn't a physical issue that caused me to drop, which in a way is a bit annoying because the amount of people that kind of say, oh, I heard you didn't finish, oh, you're over the injury soon. And you're a bit like, yeah, I wasn't really injured. I was just being a bit of a lazy arse. You couldn't be arse. <laughs> I was being weak. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And they were saying it, a lot of ultras in your head and definitely the bit that failed with me was yeah, the motivation to get that last 30-odd miles done. Yeah. So what have you learned from the DNS? And I suppose physically you've learned maybe there's a hydration issue. Anything mentally? Uh, from from this one, um, yeah, it's all it's all more about the uh, trying to fix this, the sickness issues. Mm. Um, I, I I did um, DNS uh, the arc the first time I attempted it. Um, and that was more uh, mental than physical. Um, I missed, I hadn't missed a cutoff, but I think I was 15, 10, 15 minutes outside of a cutoff um, without actually knowing it was there. Yeah. And um, then, then my head started doing too many maths and sums and got to get to here by this and I got to do that. And, um, it was a case of I don't think I'm going to do it, so I'm not going to attempt it, and then possibly not do it. Mm. So that that was probably the only time really the head um, took over the the body. 
That's fair, Dave. And in terms of the slam, then do you feel sort of more or less motivated for another hundred? I suppose you've got less pressure to just finish, so you could go and try and PB all of them. Yeah, the, the stupid thing um, I've done is every this is the second attempt at the slam, and every time I've I've got all the slam races booked in, I'd sign up for UTMB. <laughs> so uh, the first time I did the slam or attempted it. Um, I was doing CCC. So once I failed the slam, it actually gave me more scope to put more practice mm. into doing that. Um, and the same has happened again is um, uh, I can put more effort into training for TDS, which only up until about a week or so ago wasn't really on the cards, but now it's more likely than not that it'll go ahead. So I can focus yeah, more on that. It's corona issue, isn't it, to some extent? Until yeah. you get on that plane, you won't be 100% sure it's going to happen. Well, I think that they basically got the OK from the, the French government. The problem we have as travellers is whether it's going to be a green or amber hmm. um, situation. So at the minute, it's amber, but we've got three months for that to change. So... Um, yeah, that could work out better then. And then the rest of the hundred, yeah. then you're just going to take almost as training runs for this, are you? Or, but I'll, I'll, I'll probably won't do the. Well, I won't do the North Downs because um, that allows me more training. Mm. I can do a smaller training runs rather than doing a hundred four weeks before TDS. Um, an autumn hundred, um, I don't have to do that. So. Um, I definitely won't because I'm not going to Reading again. <laughs> it's not <laughs> the most fun race I found the Autumn 100, but I think it's very good for first timers and stuff, isn't it? Because it's just four out and backs and stuff. But yeah, it, it, it's it's logistically it's great because mm. it's not point to point, but also um, if you're going to drop, as what's what we're talking about, it's easy to drop because you're never more than twelve and a half, thirteen miles from from the central point exactly so um but you know it is it is you know no hundred is easy but of the four it's probably the easiest because it is a little bit more mixture of terrain as opposed to say thames path which is completely flat north downs which is just awful yeah i've not done north downs yet it always clashes with the daughter's birthday so to wait till she's big enough you don't want to see me on a birthday weekend i'll have a go yeah, don't worry, that'll happen. Exactly. <laughs> we should be starting this birthday, so it won't be long. Yeah. So for anyone then who's uh, got ultras coming up and starts to struggle in them, have you got any tips for people when they do start to hurt during a race? Yeah, I think you've got to obviously look at where you are in the race and, and uh, what the, the issue is. Obviously, if it's an injury, you've got to evaluate whether it's as I said, is it worth pushing through to get to the finish to maybe do more harm? Mm. Then, you know, you've got to say to yourself, is it, is it worth it? Is it your A race? Probably worth it. Is it the slam? Maybe you want to ease off and just try and get to the finish um, without breaking yourself. Um, so, yeah, I'd say you've got to take each each race for, for what you know for its own merit and, and why why you'd need to finish it yeah i mean i think that's my problem in the last race is i couldn't really come up with the reason why i wanted to finish it so 
and logistically you could have a mate there it was actually easier to drop than to carry on to the end and then try and work it out to get home so yeah so I just went I mean I can imagine there's certain races where you are out in the middle of nowhere and really you've got to you've got to push on to get to the next whatever mm. um, you know Thames Path South Downs even North Downs you're never you're never more than five minutes away from I mean when I dropped out of North Downs 100 I got an Uber from Bluebell Hill I mean so you know it was, it was easy didn't have to um, wait for a sweaty minibus to pick you up there <laughs> I just went on my phone and booked a cab um, but if you're if you're out on the southwest coastal path uh, in the middle of nowhere you've really you've got to keep moving you've got to keep going and it's probably the same yeah. in, in the lakes you know you've it's not easy just to, to go, I've had enough, I want to go home now. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's more of an incentive to, to keep going. No, definitely. I think that's a, yeah. And I think also when I DNF'd at the track 100, it was similar to that. It was, you know, the car's just there every 400 metres. So there's, yeah. When you stop having fun, it's far too easy to stop. Yeah, that's right. So, any tips then for how do you make sure you do really need to DNF in a race and you're not just having a, a panic attack or an ultra strop? Because we've all had those minutes in a race, haven't we? Where something minor sets you off, whether it's they've run out of your favourite snack at the A station or you know you tripped over a bloody molehill and you just want to end the race there and then you have a little paddy. How do you make sure it's, it's not a paddy and it's an actual proper DNF? I think if you've got a if you've got a pacer that has done comparable stuff, they'll do their best to keep you going um, mentally as, as well as physically and, and get you back out there. Um, talk to the people at the checkpoints. Uh, most of them are seasoned runners of, of sorts. Um, and, and they'll be able to talk you, you know, talk you in to keep going. Um, as, as we've done in the past, you know, volunteering at checkpoints, um, so you probably want to sort of draw on that um, before you make that ultimate decision. Obviously, if you've got an injury, it's fairly sort of straightforward. But if it's gone upstairs, then, yeah, you could talk to people. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of anyone that has or will in the future DNF, how do you kind of, what's the best way of dealing with it and coming back from it? Yeah. You, is it best to brood on it for a week or is it best to try and kind of put it behind you and that was just a long training run and worry about your next race? Yeah, just go online and book another race. <laughs> <laughs> just get back out there. Get out running as soon as you can. Because that's, that's why, I mean, try, try, and, try and just, you know, enjoy running because that's why we do it. Mm. Um, so you just got to find, find your happy spot again and then you're, you'll forget you won't forget it but you'll you know you'll move on and for a while you'll forget it and go and do something else yeah i found after a week or so i kind of forgot that it happened almost it was you know a weekend ago and yeah i've done a few runs since then and got the piss ripped out of me with my mates and it was kind of what you need to get over it yeah so, yeah, and it is, at the end of the day, it is a you know a largely pointless hobby for us, isn't it? It's not going to affect our sponsorship deals or our Olympic qualifying times. It's you know largely a bunch of middle-aged people doing stupid running to try and earn a medal. Yeah, 
you know, it's 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 a hot as you say, it is a hobby. Um we do it for fun. I'm I'm not quite sure what part of it's fun. But I it's, do wonder it's that. <laughs> the first the first ten miles are fun. Um but yeah, it's a hobby. We do it we do it for for you know because we want to do it, we like doing it, we like the enjoyment of crossing, you know, the buzz of crossing the finish line. Because I think that's that's probably the addictive part for me, finishing that, you know, the finish line. And that's why you come back again. Yeah, I think and it nicely kind of bookends the whole experience, isn't it? That you've you've been on this big journey, you've got a medal or a buckle and you've crossed the line and it's, you know, you've achieved something. Even yeah, if you know, the scheme yeah. of things is pointless, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's it's the icing on the cake. If if the cake was the training block of I don't know, right. three, four, five months, you know, the finishing it is the icing on it. So that's why you do it. I suppose it helps. You've got other races coming up, haven't you? So you can view that training block as still useful, and even the race is useful towards that. If that had been your only race of the year, you might well have sat down and cried that you've wasted four months training for a race you couldn't finish. Yeah, and 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 that's somehow how you can sort of mentally rationale it. If it's your if it's your A race, you might sort of push on through the pain maybe and get it done. Mm. Um, but when you've got lots of A races, and although they were interlinked, um, there's still you know three or four more races during the year. So um, yeah, it it might be more easier mentally to to get on with it if you're if it's your A race. Yeah, although I guess, yeah, there's still, even if it's something like Western States or something, and you've gone through the ballot and qualification races and stuff, you're going to give everything you can to finish that because you probably couldn't afford to go and do it again. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sort of thing where you would only probably do that one race in the year. Yeah. So you're going to make damn sure you finish even if you uh, need to be stretched off at the end. Yeah. <laughs> And then lastly, then uh, for you know anyone that's been asked to crew or pays for their mate on an ultra, what advice would you give them for when you run and starting to have a paddy? Um, I suppose it's just to. Sometimes people just need a kick up the arse. They need mm. a bit of tough love. Um, you know, uh, it's all right. And and sometimes why why, you know loved ones aren't the best crew or pacers mm. whereas friends that do ultras can be because they've been in your spot um they've been in your position they know what it's like they know what it feels like um you know so they're they're the ones that are going to probably um help you in that they can sort out your your food for you your bottles for you, your bladder whatever and and, uh, and get you to the next checkpoint. But also, they're the ones that are going to kick up the arse and say, come on, stop being a fanny. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's keep moving. No, definitely. I mean, um, I, when I did uh, Trans Grand Canary, we're over in Grand Canary with friends. One of my mates who I've known for years has never actually really seen me do an ultra. So he popped out to see me at a, probably about, I don't know, 65 miles or an 85 miler. And even though, obviously, I was knackered and it was getting on for 11 o'clock at night I think I could see just by looking at his face quite how shocked he was at how bad I looked <laughs> whereas yeah a more experienced ultra runner would have been like well yeah you're going to look like that you've been running for 
20 odd hours up and down mountains whereas yeah he definitely look of oh my god if you came into my pharmacy like that i'd be you know dial 999 put you in a chair and give you some drugs yeah if you don't look awful then you ain't tried hard exactly hard <laughs> cool well thank you for coming on because yeah dnf is something that well hopefully never happens to people but it does seem to happen quite a lot and then yeah like this is a bit like bereavement no one ever really discusses it or how you get on with life yeah and it's not yeah running isn't all beautifully screened kind of instagram photos of people with beautiful running form running down mountains in sunshine it is often yeah miserable gets covered in uh sweat sat in an aid station wanting to go home <laughs> yeah or leaning over a bridge puking <laughs> yeah that is a lovely photo you've got actually i'm surprised that wasn't the centurion race report you should have sent that into james you could have put that on there I think it wasn't, it wasn't shy, it was too blurry. Ah, that would be the problem. If, if Stuart had been there, they'd have taken a better picture. Yeah, it, you couldn't make out the Centurion uh, logo on the shirt, so no, it wasn't good enough. Go. So you have to read that. <laughs> you are doing South Downs then, yeah? Yes. Fine, because my mate's doing that for his first hundred, so we're half thinking we might try and go and support him a bit, so I might see you on that, as long as you're not too much faster than he is. <laughs> Well, now I've got nothing to sort of, uh, it's, it's going to be another, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not comparing myself to Jim Wormsley by any <laughs> any means or fashion, but his uh, attitude of, you know, keep going as hard as you can until you can't go any further, or hopefully you're near the finish line. Yeah. Um, that was my sort of uh, approach to Thames Path, which... You know, that's probably how I'm going to approach South Down. So, <laughs> right. Well, then in which case, I hope I don't see you because it means either you've blown up and you're death marching it in or, <laughs> or waving at you on your way to the finish line in a, in a minibus. If you see any puddles every sort of 10 to 15 miles, that means it's going wrong. <laughs> Quality. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Raj, for that. And yeah, best of luck. All right, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Spencer for coming on there and best of luck for the rest of his races this year. I myself, um, in a fit of possibly stupidity, signed up for Wendover Woods 100 in the week following my DNF, which is, as Spencer said, what a lot of us do. Fail at a race, go home and sign up to the next one. So we're going to see how that one gets on. Obviously, everything's still a little bit up in the air this year with what races may or may not happen. If you've got any races coming up that you'd like to see featured, then drop us a message. And if you'd like to pop on Amazon and pre-order the next book, that would also be much appreciated. I've got my first bill this week for hosting the podcast. And I'm not doing the usual patron thing of hammering people for donations to fund my Ego Tripper podcast. But if you could buy the book, that would be really appreciated. It's called Ducking Long Way, and it's uh, up on Amazon for pre-release at the minute. And my first box of books uh, should be due this afternoon, actually. So I'll actually the physical item in my hand, which is always quite an exciting uh, event to happen. It'll be amazing to physically hold something, wave it around and do some very cheesy social media posts. But before I go, here's the final clip of actual recording taken during one of the recent ultras and definitely not lifted from a film star on the rock for copyright reasons. See you all soon. We're not going to make it. We're going to make it. No, we're not. I don't think we're going to make it. We're going to make it.
we're not going to make it. 